So hi everyone, I'm here with Jake Levant, who's the uh, VP of Marketing at uh, Lightico. Um, and Lightico look after streamlining and automating customer interaction. Uh, so very involved in the digital space. So, so Jake, thanks very much for joining me today. Uh, welcome. Chris, thanks for having me aboard. Uh, you're, quite, you're quite welcome. Um, so, so, so I thought it'd be interesting just to chat a little bit about some of the things that you've seen first off through the whole of the COVID lockdown. I mean, we've been there for about nine months now, um, and it seems like it's sort of been really sort of dramatically, you know, changing some of some of the industry industry norms that we've seen. And it'd be good to hear just your kind of perspective of what you've seen in the last nine months. Well, Chris, like everybody, I think we went through a panic situation, mm -hmm. and then once we got through that, we realized, heck. This is a direction we've been heading anyways, mm. whereas it's certainly not the impetus that we would want. Uh, we came to an understanding that digital was something that we talked a lot about, but we didn't really have the sharp need to act on. We've had to front burner all those activities that were otherwise sidelined. And what we've seen, of course, is that as consumers were unable to do their traditional branch visits, face-to-face -face interactions, coming in with papers, had to move quickly, particularly on the customer-facing components. Mm. So all the digital uh, energies have been forced into the front-facing interactions to digitize those immediately. Um, and, and how much of a gap do you think there was? I mean, we always there's, there's a quote out there that was saying that the future is actually already here; it just hasn't been implemented yet, right? I think it was, it was one of the, the sci-fi authors did that. But I mean, how much of a gap do you think it was that we sort of we were able to sort of accelerate? It's a it's a fair question. I don't think that we're missing the um, any particular piece. I think that what we've missed is the integration and providing it in a coherent and easy fashion. Mm. Whereas before we could have a siloed based approach where over here you would take care of a paperwork and over there you in the retail branch you would identify yourself and then you would pick up your cash over there. So mm. we would have each of the pieces would be done in their own ways. But when it comes to a complete end-to-end -end interaction, now is the proof is in the pudding. And what we're seeing is that we do have breakpoints where we are still asking people to log into the portal, call the call center for their uh, ID that's missing. And so we are seeing where the interplays are actually broken. And the pain of that is much more sharp right now because it's falling on whatever frontline workers we have. And they're trying to piece together systems which, on the one hand, are partially digital, but are in no way integrated and easy. And so do you think, do you think integration is going to be the, the new kind of theme that comes through? So we've all rushed out. We put in lots of different solutions. Um, it feels like there's, I mean, there's, there's a whole vast range of solutions and often different solutions. And it's almost like, how do you knit those together? I mean, is, is integration, is that, is that kind of what you're working on? And so that's, that can be the next, the next big thing or? Well, I think that um, there are so many assets that we've invested over the last 20 years in the back, in the core. Mm. And what we've seen is the we haven't leveraged them towards the way customers can take advantage of them. We've mm. put them piecemeal out in front of them, and it, they've taken advantage in, in part. But the real opportunity is orchestrating between them. Mm. And I would actually challenge us to do better than just integration. I would say, what does a future-proof environment look like? Where I can't tell you what it's going to be in five years from now, but I can tell you that it has to be a systematic approach. And so we need to have something that's across all touch points and that is future proof in that, okay, it plugs in, it's API, it's an open access, it's secure. We know the, the criteria and the basis of from which we need to work. It has to be integrated, secure, future proof, integrated into the core systems, 
uh, cohesive with one another. And I think that that is what's uh, coming to the fore is that all of our investments have been either A, behind the walls mm. and haven't been brought out. And where they are brought out is that sometimes they're done in a piecemeal and up until March, it's been okay. Yeah. And what what about, so this this whole concept around sort of, I suppose, software as a service, I mean, it's definitely been a boon in that. I mean, again, it's been around for a long time, but it's the ability to be able to stand services up so quickly has just been fantastic. But as you get into that, then, you know, customers tend to sort of, they can pick sort of, you know, the, the best products off the shelf and, and you have these integration issues. And, and, and do you think, are we going to a, a world where we're going to see multiple different best solutions that have to integrate with each other? Or do you think, or do you think, we're, I mean, is that not going to be a challenge? Um, having lots of different vendors with lots of different parts of the puzzle. What's well, the, the alternative, it, the alternative is terrible. It's mm. by being locked into a legacy solution that's uh, unable to grow. And what we do mm. need is, you know, like the lobster that grows and grows and breaks its shell and starts again. That's been how we've been digital transforming. Now it's in five steps, in five-year steps. It's been terrible. Five year mm. steps. Who am I kidding? It's been 15 year steps. So <laughs> actually, the nature of what's going on in the back is, you know, is from last century. And no wonder people don't want to deal with it. And so I would say the better challenge is having a platform approach whereby we have the smart back and we're able to make the modifications as need be on the front. There'll mm. be a new president and a new prime minister. There'll be a new compliance and there'll be a new touch point. And we need to plug in an app and a portal and a phone and a Bitcoin and a crypto. I can't tell you what it is. Mm. I certainly like an environment that gives me the flexibility to plug in and unplug in durable fashion. Yeah. And, yeah. and how do you think clients should go best about sort of managing that complexity? I mean, you got any any thoughts on that? Well, I think that they need to understand what is really their pain point. And on the one hand, we've been um, thinking at the core, the core, the core, but we've actually come to understand that much of the value is unpacked where it impacts customers. And so we mm. don't necessarily put the business side into the equation of digital transformation enough. We talk about it being an enabler, but it's actually, right, in business, it's a blocker. When you think about the future of business, it's the revolutes, it's the, we, those are the competition. It's not the IBM mainframe. We need mm. to think about how are we gonna to respond to the external challenges and the rising consumer expectations because those are the ones we need to manage. And so when we think about how to prioritize, I would say, where's the business view? Where are they and who can identify, oh, I, I'm going to get a squeeze in that my, I have a, the smartest product. I have the best um, technology in the back. I can adjust risk as I need be. I'm more compliant and I have better brand than anybody else. But you know what? No one knows it mm. because I'm limited by my old shell. And I can't break out for another five years because mm. people who have to do the fine tuning all need to know how to code. So mm. I need something that is business centric, that can be adapted to the different markets, that I can have a shade in green and a shade in pink, and I can have a shade for this market and this Gen X and Gen Z, and I need that durability in the front. So I think that what, as we look forward, we want to talk about one, something that starts with the consumer, two, something that talks about business ROI, not about some sort of, you know, ill-imagined digital transformation with moving gold. I think mm. that those are hardcore things that we know how to manage too. And those have been noticeably absent at the table. I'm listening to you talking there about, I'm thinking about modular coding or object-oriented coding actually. 
um, and about how coding used to be this big monolithic sort of um, you know code that used to sit out there and used to be very hard to, to, to understand and then it's sort of been broken out now and you've got subroutines separate routines etc and I just wonder if that's actually happening with business as well so you get almost like are we are we moving towards the modular business where you have different areas of expertise and it can all fit within the within within the business model but it, it's about having modules that you can plug and play that is a great question i i don't know what the um what the end state will be but mm. i can tell you definitively by giving the flexibility such that a business can be a, a broad or they can go niche and then they can they can have this adaptability we are empowering different financial services mm. to take their own track mm. and when you talked about modular code I thought, okay, that's one step forward. But why are we not in a point where we can not get business leaders to do drag and drop type of systems? We are in that stage. If mm -hmm. anyone's built an easy website, you don't need to know how to code. And that is actually what I would say is the opportunity where we can unshackle some of the tools that used to be in the back that we would have to um, you know, go through endless uh, prioritization and funneling of requests in order to get things done. Mm. If I need to make a variant in German or a variant in French, it should be modular. And so I like that flexibility that you presented, but I don't even think it has to be, for the most part, dependent on what we have on the back. And that's what the API and SaaS economy give us, is the flexibility to make those decisions more uh, agile. And of course, I suppose the other thing that's happened with, with, with the COVID, like global lockdown really, is the fact that with internet connectivity, I mean, we can all work remotely, work in different areas, and it's like the, the, the ability to be able to work cross borders um, has, just, has just dramatically changed. I mean, that the whole concept around working yeah. in the same country, working in the same city is just sort of, is just sort of disappearing. I mean, I mean how's, that, how's, how's that really affected you guys? Um, I mean, from, a, from an approach point of view. Well, the good news is that we are a by nature remote. Though we love to meet our customers, we were built in a in a SaaS style. So we are able to engage, discuss, um, mentor, be mentored, partner, learn together. And so we are quite adept. So on the one hand, this is unfortunate, and we do have those site visits, and we like to meet our customers and prospects and partners. On the other hand, it's very familiar. Mm -hmm. um, we've got customers around the world, and we actually found at a certain point that just much like our software, that beyond the relations, which are very hard to grow, the product agility should be such that we can also run our business this way. That I can meet you today, and then I can meet a customer in Japan and a prospect in Australia yeah. without moving from my chair. And that is the nature of our business such that we can grow that. That doesn't mean that we're not missing the drinks and the lunch, and we love that, but it means that the way we approach business is such that we understand that this is the future of how we should build our businesses, not just ours, but how we want to empower banks to build their business as well. I think what's interesting is almost like you almost like have that plug and play with businesses and you know across across the world now, and it's so much easier to do. I mean, you, you really can sort of talk with people all across the world and um, you know, I mean, and I'm sure there'll be customer visits at some point, but it's just that that immediacy means you can just talk to people very quickly, just like we're doing now. You're absolutely right. I mean, we've had the good fortune of meeting this way. We didn't meet at a conference, at a debt collection conference in UK. Yeah. That's how I, many of my colleagues, but I'm meet, making more friends in different ways. And you know, just we will pull together a virtual summit or a hangout, or we'll get together for drinks. 
I know we'd rather do it in person and I'm, yeah. I'm among you for the day. But in the meantime, we're not going to twiddle our thumbs. And as a business side, we also know what to do. We know that many folks need to move forward. They need to think about better recovery strategies. They need to deal with new compliance regulation. We need to manage these agilely and they can't wait until we meet in a pub. We need mm. to move now. Yeah, I'm sure it'll happen at some point. Uh, we'll do that at some point. There's a report that came out recently, I think it was last week, that talking a bit about how fraud the banks have seen such a step increase in fraud. I mean, just be, really because everything's remote, like we we're just chatting about. Um, I mean, what's what? Where do you think the digital solutions sort of fit in with that? And you know, what's what's how, how should we think about it? Because there is an exposure there, I think. Oh, certainly. And the more we go from a community where I, I know you, I know your family I, for generations to a remote and is, people can hide and pretend and you know this world of deep fakes it's it is prevalent and when it comes to financial transactions and collections it's risky and mm. though we on the one hand we have compliance on the other hand we have risk and so we have to find mitigating factors to do that there are many great technologies which can enable they're not foolproof and it's a cat and mouse game but to, to say that um, in yesteryear where we would have someone fax in a signature, what? Mm. That's, I would know it's you because it's coming from a fax on a carbon copy. Like, we know that we didn't have it right then. Mm. We know that we are exposed broader, but we also have better tools today. Mm. We have, you know, if you think about this device, you have a mm. face print, a, an IP, a phone, a fingerprint. You have a transaction history, an app. There's incredible information on what's in my pocket. And then you go into something which is, you know, to just talk about this, when we're dealing with high risk transactions in the financial spheres, we ask, you know, do you have KBA, you know, something about you, one-time password, you make sure you have multiple devices, you know, take a picture of your driver's license, give me a selfie, do a verification, making sure that they match. So not to say that they're foolproof, but they take care of much of the risk. When things are very high risk, then you need to escalate. And so what we've seen is that we are continuing to add the non-friction steps into digital transactions where it's low risk. So if it's you know adding a beneficiary, you have to determine according to the different risk policies of what's happening to these. Right. You add as many seamless as you can, and then you would add something like, oh, take a selfie and send it in, and you'll have to wait five minutes for the transaction because it's more than the X amount of dollar described mm -hmm. to that. And then certain transactions are still face-to-face, -face and, and they should be. Mm -hmm. um, so what we're seeing is a threshold and gates about based on where the risks are and where the exposures are. So I do think that we, as a, you know, we should be embracing this because it also means that our offering is broadly available, but there are enormous risks and exposures. And so the good news is that there are incredible technologies that are not cumbersome. Some is just providing data to the decision and others are even lightweight fingerprint bio ip those are like relatively lightweight and so do, as we layer up then we can decide what is the right risk profile and when do we need to put on different rules so that's quite an interesting concept in terms of how do you manage the authentication and the friction that's the customer friction that's related with the with the uh, with the authentication method against the risk that's involved and you know the higher the higher the friction that should be is matched against the higher risk but you have these low friction for let's say, let's say low, low value amounts or um you know you know uh, whatever whatever it would be in terms of just where there's a lower risk and, and you're seeing other data points come into play now it's a cat and mouse if I, 
you know, you'll take social graph, you'll take uh, email authentication, you know, just to give you, you know, tip of the iceberg. If an email account is new and there's no email in the database, you have a, a red flag. If there's no mm -hmm. social graph, it's another red flag. And then if you jump into an abnormal behavior on the phone where all of a sudden you're certain to, trying to take a in inordinate loan, so you've got a couple of red flags. And so you, you can decide how to manage those accordingly. But mm -hmm. I'm saying you have data points, which are zero friction, which are now more readily available. Then you have, we call them light activities that can address some of them. And the combination of what you find there, plus the type of interaction that you're having, can then inform the right risk policy. And I suppose you, you get like a, a scorecard, even if you've got multiple light frictions, the fact that they're, that they're multiplied together then becomes you have a greater confidence and you get into that sort of like modeling piece. Even AI, I suppose, will, will get, get used in that. Well, those are how you make the decision because yeah. you could say, you know, it's just no one comes in and on first day does that behavior. And so that mm. sets up a red flag. And so they have a score based. There is a human element that and about the risk policy, but this is certainly a cat and mouse and it continues to evolve. With every new opportunity comes a new gap and a new exposure, and these are being managed. But I do see that as we are managing our risks, I think that we're also becoming more efficient with the mm -hmm. entirety of our operations. Whereas we used to uh, put bandit on bandit in terms of how do we manage our risks? Come in again, bring mm -hmm. your spouse, you know, bring in a document. I mean, many of these things were just one not effective, mm -hmm. and and certainly very arduous. So I think mm -hmm. that we've decluttered much of this and at least we're focusing on the edge we've taken and found and had to adapt quickly to managing what we'll call the initial steps of risk mitigation and certainly one of the things i found through lockdown with the digitalization that's gone and it saves so much time as a customer it saves a lot of time i mean you don't have to go and you know like you're just talking about visiting the bank or going back again i mean it's not just the actual appointment it's also driving there getting there those kind of things it's it just it's a lot more efficient for for people from an economic point of view i think as well and so so i know that you do a lot of business around the world um and you have an international presence and, it, and it's good just uh, to touch on a little bit around what what have you seen have you seen differences between the markets uh, at yeah. all in terms of how that how they responded to this and i mean what are what are the themes you you've sort of seen so in March and April, we saw a we saw a wave uh, go across as different countries became aware, exposed, and then active. Mm. We saw it really coming across, and what we would see is that you know businesses would shut down, particularly in the UK. It was a it just went to zero very quickly. Uh, we had folks who worked in call center environments that had to figure out how to get in place. Uh, so the reaction of certain geo like in UK was very dramatic. Whereas many parts in America, for example, things were less dramatic. There was there was a blip, but then people came back to work and they, so we didn't have such a dramatic stop start. Mm -hmm. And what we can see now is that the acclimatization of that, um, we have in, in our American core market, uh, we, we have many more folks who are back to work in an office environment. In the United Kingdom, we see a lot of folks have found their way to manage in a work from home. And mm. to a certain extent, they, they boast about being more productive. So mm. we see that different geos, according to the government instruction, have behaved differently and then actually have had to adapt differently. It's interesting to think that you know we've all been infected or to the greater or lesser extent by the same pandemic. But it's a little bit of the government and the tonality of the folks about how they reacted. Yeah. Um, so I see the digitization happening across the board. I, I see actually the employers taking a bit of a different stance depending on even which 
geography within the states or if it's in Canada or in UK. So I think that that's actually a little bit, um, in this instance, we will have some of the stereotypes come to, come to play. But I do think that as it pertains to the digital transformation, there's been this um, acceleration where folks have first had to take care of their employees. That was the initial reaction and you know, nothing else matters. Now, what did we do next? How did we take care of them? That was the initial, so I gotta bring, bring you a digital tool. I need to put in hand sanitizer. Whatever, whatever the response was, was employees first. Okay, operation second. Do we have a stable business working environment? Mm -hmm. Now, continuation, how do we make this work? And the answers in the third uh, is very much where we've come to grow our customer base significantly is in order to adjust to how do we manage these compliance regulated interactions with our consumer base, but not when they're coming in to, to visit us or not when we can go out to visit them. This is where we've seen it. So it's almost in the third wave and the pace of getting to the third wave was almost immediate in certain jurisdictions where they said, okay, we got our alcohol gel, we're ready to go. Uh, and then others, okay, no, we got to work from home. We need our work from home environment. Now we're ready to go. Yeah. So that's when we met them in different instances. And from here, I think that we've seen that people have become accustomed to this. And now that they know that they need to have these solutions and then they're looking and they're actually much more sharp about what type of solution it is to, they need. They can't take compliant payments over the phone, for example. They can't mm -hmm. get paid on a debt over the phone because it, it, uh, regulation pre present, prevents them from writing down information. Okay. So now, after several months, we know that that's the problem. Now I know what I, I need to go shop for, and we come across them at that point. And, and do you think do you think the the government, um, uh, I suppose, response and the amount of support and the way they set up the infrastructure is going to have a big impact in terms of like what the future infrastructure is going to be? So, in, for example, you know how they responded and how did how digital automations rolled out. I mean, is it going to have a like a almost like a future effect in terms of like the economics, right? Wow, it's it's a question that's too big for me. I, I on the one hand, I'd love to say yes. I I've just seen that government um, initiatives have not necessarily been bearing the fruit, um, and they're certainly not in touch. I think that they're often laggard, and unfortunately, in this instance, we've had a, a, a external instance which being the driver. But I do think that if it wasn't the external, we'll call it the pandemic, but the, we would have other things. We would have Amazon coming into this business. We would have Netflix style approach to this and we're seeing that. And so though I, I don't know if it's the government that I would rely on yeah. as being an enduring effect. I think that there are things that are much more dynamic and more salient to the issues which are going to drive lasting digital interventions. But it's almost like the, the, the pandemic is almost like crystallized something that was already there. And it's like it's almost like you can see the crystals going out and it's like it's just ex, ex, it's an accelerant, as you said. That's right. I would say that in different areas, you might see it a little bit more influence where there's much more oversight. For example, in health, in a financial transaction, they're more managing to make sure that things are done right. But there they are managing how they are done. And, and the actual, uh, and here with the telemedicine, I think that in those arenas, we're going to see much more intervention, mm. much more guidance. And it's actually driven by the efficiencies of, um, that have been necessitated by this pandemic. I wouldn't yeah. say it's government initiative that we've had 20 years of opportunity to do that. I'm yeah. saying that there they can play a, a more aggressive role in mandating the ongoing. In free market, in collections, in banking, in finance, we see much more drive. It's, it's closer to market and so they can find these opportunities. In the private me Medicare field, for example, you'll see telemedicine is much more developed. 
Yeah. So in areas which are much more regulated, I think that the government can play. When we have you know, banking financial matters, I think that it's still, for the most part, on enterprise and we'll even call it external factors to lead and direct the digital transformation. Where do we go from here? We've had we've had this this shock that's happened to 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 to, to the economy. We've had crystallization of you know a lot of the digital digital transformation that's come through. What do you think? What do you think comes next? Well, I think that we've learned about um, the value of being close to customer. I know mm-hmm. that it sounds for businesses that have been very uh, shielded by regulation or business. I think that they've seen. New wages being over there and our business is over here. And they, we had this false sense of we're not the same. We don't have to be aware of how um, Netflix interacts. Expectations are not there. I think we've had this merger. And it's what is going to be clear is that every business has to serve their customer in that way, no matter what the excuse, no matter retail or digital, no matter compliance or free market, whatever the parameters are, I think that the bar has been raised and leveled. Mm. And I think that we, I could say this is a vector. I would say that we can't just benchmark our behaviors with, oh, we're the best debt collector in, in Wales. Mm. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. We have to understand that to be effective, we need to adopt the tools from many, many other spheres because mm. that's where the customers are. So if we're dealing with a, a business to consumer endeavor, we need to be more attuned to what the expectations are. And this mm. uh, has been one of the greatest learnings. We need to be more tuned in to what the consumers are and how that impacts our business. So the mm. front edge digitization, I think that that's really, we're going to see a lot more movement of that going forward. I think it's quite interesting just what you're saying around how do you learn from different industries and the fact that some of these things around customer focus have been portable from elsewhere. So Netflix to social media to, you know, to, to even legacy industries and banking and financial services. And, and you can sort of you can take the ideas and move them all across. And I think we've seen that mobility that's that sort of happened um, really as a result of some of this. I mean, it's sort of they sort of brought those ideas to the fore, it sounds. Yeah. And the good news is that these are so accessible and they don't have all the base infrastructure cost that you know a, a successful financial organization has mm. they're much more aesthetic mm. and they're transparent and we just need to adopt them much quicker we have to have a different tempo so it's a bit interesting that you think about we have two paces the core the back systems have been built over 100 years and that's financial wisdom that's that's domain expertise mm. on the front end we need to work at a much faster pace to understand, and this is what I call about being future-proof, that we need to take whatever it may be. We're experts in insurance, we're experts in medicine. That is truth. That's mm. in our DNA. But how we deliver them has to be much more agile. Well, it's, it's very interesting. And Jake, thanks very much for talking to me. I, I really appreciate it. Um, some fascinating ideas there we're chatting about, especially around the, the, mod, the modular company and some of those kind of things. It's, it's, it's very interesting. And it's been a hugely interesting time. So, um, so I'll just say thank you very much. Um, I really appreciate it. And uh, it's been great to chat with you. Thanks again. And you, Chris. Thank you.